You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> I know. Uh, we have so many niche uh things in common like i feel like all the things i like to do like comedy and jujitsu it's literally yeah it's just all like shit that like girlfriends parents don't want to hear and that like 16 year old me would be very excited about like you tell jokes and fight people uh but yeah so it's fucking super weird that we haven't overlapped um but yeah no i'm psyched i didn't say about joe I remember that. I yep. I trained there. I, I wasn't living in L.A., but <laughs> oh my god! I don't think I've ever told this story. Joe, me and my friend were in town, and Joe hooked me up with Eddie Bravo, and I was just visiting for a week. I was like a shitty blue belt, and he goes, "Yeah, I called Eddie for you," and like this is when Joe was like uh, uh, famous, but like it wasn't insane. It wasn't like his like tenth phone number, and he was like, "Yeah, I called Eddie for you. He's gonna hook you up, whatever." And so I've never trained with Eddie Bravo before and he's great. But the, the first time I meet him and I don't even know if you rem- would remember this, he comes in, he's super stoned and I'm just like nervous and trying to be respectful. And it was upstairs at legends. And I go, um, Hey man, I was like, um, like Joe's friend. He said like, I could train. Like, is that okay? And Eddie goes, uh, he's like, Oh, you're the comedian. This is before Eddie was doing comedy. He goes, you're the comedian. Right. And I go, yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, yeah. Uh, you gotta pay. And I go, oh, okay, cool. I didn't know I was supposed to pay, but I can pay if there's like a, a mad fee. And he's like, nah, man, you gotta pay in jokes. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that at all. Like I'll pay a $20 fee. He's like, nah, man, tell us a joke. And dude, it was the worst moment of my life. I really, it was so fucking, it was, I, I still like get chills thinking about it. And I literally, so now I'm like explaining to him, I was like, my comedy is just, they're really long winded stories and it's political and it's not like a like bing, bing, bing. And, uh, and then he just finally just stopped and it, there was just a disappointed silence over the class. And then I was fucking awkwardly trained for an hour. Yeah. That was. What else was apparently Okay. Yes. Just going on these long bits. Right, right. No, same. Like mine would just be like very self hating or be like and especially back then when I was really preachy, I'd be like, All right, everybody, let's talk about the military industrial complex. Like it fucking would have been terrible. That is true. Oh, I would have killed. You know what? I'm uh, Yeah. He kind of he came up. I forget who he came up with. Uh, Jean Jacques Machado. Yep. And, he, um, and he's famous because he was the first uh, person to submit um, uh, Hoyler Gracie. Hoyler Gracie. Yep, and Eddie was just this little, you know, even if you don't know jujitsu before you turn this podcast off, it's like you can, it, it's a metaphor where it's like Eddie was just sort of this like 
rebel, like, you know, kind of, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like the, in comedy, it would be like, like the prior fucking Bill Hay, like just like the fucking rebel outsider who like didn't fit in, you know, jujitsu was very traditional back then. The Gracies are the family that brought it over. I mean, Brazilian jujitsu was essentially named after them. And Eddie wasn't even a black belt. He was a brown belt. No, he's a brown belt. Fucking Rogan was in his, was his corner man. I don't even know if like Jean Jacques, like if he had a coach, like Rogan was his coach. And, and, uh, you know, everyone shit on him because he didn't do stuff in the gi, which is very traditional as well. And he just kind of broke all these fucking rules and people would shit all over him. And then that happened. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, I, I watched that tape recently. Of, uh, and you see the about Lose it. It's a really cool moment. But it was a big moment. But it basically that submission alone, that turn alone sort of set him up to open his own academy. That's it. That's how big a deal it was. Yeah. It was I don't know what the equivalent would be if, like, you're a, a boxer and you beat. I mean, who the fuck knows who beat a boxer? I don't even. I don't even follow boxing anymore. Mike Tyson? <laughs> Is he still fighting? <laughs> yeah. it was, that's a big deal. You can open an academy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like even like taking that into comedy because I've been thinking about that a lot. Like I've had moments where I'm like, "Oh my god, am I am I about to get famous?" And then I've had moments where I'm like, oh, "I should just fucking kill myself." And but like even with comedy, it's the cliche where it's like you know you never know who's gonna see you, you never know who's in the audience. Like I got discovered when I was living out of my car in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The comedy story. Yeah. yeah so I um. Uh, you know, I wanted to be in a fucking band, and I was in a stoner jam band. A when stoner I, jam band? Oh, yeah. Is that, is that actually a genre? 100%. Like, Grateful Dead, Fish, okay. just like, all improvised, just like, insufferable. Every song was like 20 minutes. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, named after a Simpsons reference. We were named Pray for Mojo, uh, uh, after a Homer's Helper Monkey. And, um, I thought we were gonna be... And you were how old at this point? 16, 17. Uh, yeah, so I actually did drop out of high school. So, but I thought it was going to be for the band yeah. because we, you know, you're, you're in high school. So you're quote unquote big gig. It's like we opened for the band that opened for Blues Traveler. And I was like, that's it, baby. That's right. Yeah, we're doing this. Dear Liza was the name of the band. And the gig was the first time we had monitors. It was the first time the drums were mic'd. And I was just like, we are rock stars. And so I called a band meeting, which is uh, what I did. I, like, I was always the kind of person who was like, hey, we're doing a thing. Like when I showed up to jujitsu, I showed up with five friends. And it was just me a week, like within two weeks. Um, and so same with this band. I was like, all right, guys, we got to talk about like, I was such a little fucking dork. I was like, we got to talk about tour. We got to talk about merch. And they another guitar player but like five people and uh and i just thought i was like this is it and they were like we have to go to college like we can't we can't just play music and i was like what and so my like comedy origin story isn't you know from the age of 10 i knew like comedy spoke to me it was literally like i didn't want to be abandoned i had abandonment issues i couldn't play music without my band like i didn't sing or anything like that and so i was like well i like stand up it was in the heyday of like um opie and anthony in new york so like the public radio i listened to it was patrice and louis and you know norton stern was still really big then yeah stern and opie and anthony were like going at it and uh, so I was like, I could try this and I lived in Jersey. And so I just started taking the train in every week, uh, like an hour and a half or whatever into New York and doing open mics. I was so, 
No, Catch Rising Star was gone. It was the New York Comedy Club, which is just like, which apparently is going through some fucking resurgence. Like, really good comics play there now. But back in the day, it was like the trash club. And I was in the small room, which was like a little hallway. And then I started doing, if you guys don't know, there's this uh, scam um, called a bringer show when you're a new comedian, where not only do you not get paid, you have to bring three paying customers to in order to get five minutes of stage time. And I would bring people from New Jersey. Like, dude, I lost friends because they're coming an hour and a half to see a bringer. So just three hours of just racism. And like, I go up at like one in the morning and they have to go. So I ran out of, you know, I was like, I don't have people. Did you? Yes. She ran Bringer Show. It's so funny. Uh, And I love her, but she she didn't run them, but she hosted them at uh, New York Comedy Club as well. She was she was one. Her and Dean. Oh, yes, they were both like kind of like the pros on those shitty shitty shows. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Jesus. So what they what you want to do in ten minutes, you have to bring ten people. Oh! I just I just got out of a, a graduate school uh, for acting, so I was kind of like uh, I had enough people sort of in my reservoir to kind of. And they were like artist friends too, they were so they perfect, perfect. Yes. Early two thousands and stuff, mid two thousands. So um, it wasn't that hard, right? But it was definitely anyway. I probably did it for maybe a year because beyond that, you just it's possible. I think I probably did like five or six, yeah. and then I just started doing. You know, and they're disappointed when you bring six people to tender. You only have six. Wild. People to build. Yeah. And you're just like, hey, you know what? We should all probably unionize because this is definitely illegal. Um, like same with when I like high out flyers. Like that was my first like break. I guess. I guess like my home club. It was, I mean, there's a show about it now, but like me and Pete Holmes were the, we were the ones who handed out flyers outside the Boston Comedy Club in New York. I was, so I was right after Barry. So I missed Bert. I missed Barry. Um, I missed Dane. It was mainly the seller guys coming to do their like shittier material. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like, but I mean, it was great. It was like Geraldo and Norton so and Patrice right. and Patrice would sit out in the fuck and Chappelle was coming by all the time. Chappelle was coming by right before he left for Africa. And whenever people were like, was it drugs? I'm like, no, I saw what it was. It was him in front of 30 people trying to do material about the war in Iraq and racism and frat boys from NYU going do Rick James and him having to go. That's a sketch show and explaining to them the difference between sketch and fucking stand up. And I'm like, that's why he left. And, uh, but it was fucking great. It was where, like, I started opening for Marin. Like, Marin saw me there. I mean, I was terrible at handing out flyers. I went, well, the big break was I only had a couple little things in New York. So, like, Marin taking me out a little bit. And not on like a straight tour. I mean, to Marin, he was like failing. And to me, he was like my favorite comic in the world. Cause, like, of that's. Right, right, right. I got Obama, but where's Biden? Um, yeah. And he, so like a couple little things like that, but it got to a point where, you know, I still had a day job at a bookstore and then I was handing out flyers for free for like six hours. And then, you know, you would get five minutes at the end of the night, but like, 
Chappelle comes by and everyone leaves and it's just two tourists who don't speak English because they don't know who Dave Chappelle was and like and they remember oh the worst thing about did you ever hand out flyers? Very briefly I had a club on 46th Street called Ha I did that for a little bit I did that that place was like notoriously sketchy I totally did that Um, and I handing out flyers is a sort of interesting kind of hell because what happens is you lie to people to get them in. So, you, yep, Chris Rock comes by, all this stuff. And then, if it's not a good lineup, and let's say you go on early, essentially you have to be the one to go on stage. There's 10 people in the audience. The Boston was not a nice looking room. And essentially, you're like, hi, I'm the person who ruined your night. I'm the person who lied to you out there. Yes, and you're just seeing just a bunch of shitty fight, and I was not good. Um, and so my big break happened when uh, I was working at Borders a Bookstore, which was where... Uh, there was a bookstore, kids. Yep. There was a bookstore, and there was a book... There was bar- Borders is closed. Borders is gone. Uh, Barnes & Noble still thrives. Everyone who worked at Borders were the ones who couldn't get hired at Barnes & Noble, because Barnes & Noble was like classier, so it was just the fucking delinquents. <laughs> And so I worked there and I was fucking miserable and I wasn't getting any paying gigs in New York. So my thought was I started to do kind of weirder shows. Like I started to do stuff with like poetry clubs in New York and kind of like developing a weirder style. And my space was big at the time. And I had enough fans and like connections to like weird poetry nights. And I'm like, I'm just going to drive around the country. The plan wasn't, I'm going to drive to LA and make it in LA. It was just, all I wanted to do is make a living as an artist. So as long as I could make money to get to the next city, that's all that fucking mattered. So there was no route. So for a year and a half, I just drove around the country. And so, I mean, everywhere. Oh, wow. A Saturn, which was made out of literal plastic. It was a little smaller than that, but kind of. And I remember uh, it got rear-ended pretty early on to this, like, very air quotes tour. And the uh, the fucking mechanic was like, ha-ha, plastic. And I thought he was kidding, just being like, man, I really... But I, I learned it's actually made of plastic. Um, the Saturn was made of plastic. And... Uh, I remember this one time, like talking about routes, like I literally went Ohio, Toronto, another city in Ohio. Like it was just wherever could pay me. And it was like old school. How are you finding these gigs? MySpace. 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 Or if it was like a poetry night, somebody would. No idea. I'm terrible with years. It was a little spotty. Stanhope was starting to like get, um, a following on MySpace, like Stanhope was the next guy who took me out to open for him. Um, and we would like, I, I don't know what my plan was because it was literally, I was doing gigs where like the old school beat poets, they would just pass around the hat and I'd make 35 bucks and that would get me to the next city. And then, um, and you had no other money or revenue. No, no, there weren't podcasts or, I mean, we grew up like, you know, pretty like poor, but like, no, no, nope, no, no, no. There was nothing. There was nothing. And it was just, but I was fucking ecstatic because it was the first time I didn't have a job and I felt like an artist. Yeah. So like, I wasn't like, oh, I have to sleep in my car. I have to sleep on this couch. I was just like, this is it. This is fucking, this is all I want, you know? Um, and I was, I did mushrooms in Texas. Um, no, sorry. I did mushrooms in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I was supposed to do a gig in San Antonio the next day. 
and it snowed in Texas, just like our big winter storm last year, where Texas doesn't know what to do when yeah. they snow. So Texas closed. And I was like, oh, I'm stuck in Albuquerque for an extra day because Texas literally was like, we don't have salt. Like, they just you couldn't get into Texas. And uh, some dude was like, there was this weird arts festival happening. And Paul Provenza, who made the movie The Aristocrats and the TV show The Green Room, he was there with Stan Hope. And somebody just gave me a gig because they knew I was stranded. And they go, hey, there's this weird gig. The gig, where the gig was, it was like a burlesque. It was like half burlesque, half performers. It, when you go, you pay $10. They give you the $10 back in quarters. Depending on how much you like the performer, you just hurl quarters on the stage and then like hot burlesque chicks like pick up the change and then they pay you. I made like 35 bucks, which like in quarters was like very good. And Paul Provenza happened to be in Albuquerque, New Mexico at this weird show. And even though I was kind of doing this like poetry stuff, he called me over and he's like, you're a comic, right? And I like briefly recognized him from like those eighties, either like, I mean, he hosted a show where he interviewed like Bill Hicks and like Kinnison and like, I mean, he, he's just done everything and has an eye for comedy. He goes, you're a fucking comic, aren't you? And I was like, I mean, kind, maybe kind of. Um, and then within a couple months, like he brought me to China and we toured, he brought me to, he, he was, yeah, he brought me to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is where I, I kind of got big overseas because I was fucking I failing here. Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Edinburgh Festival in general, is just like, is the biggest, it's the biggest comedy festival in the world. In the, the world. Yeah, for sure. And like, so I just stayed on his couch and like did shows until I got discovered and, uh, and No, but he always produced really fucking cool shows. So the show he was doing after my show in Edinburgh was just called The Green Room, which kind of turned into like a TV show. And there was a band and Reggie Watts was playing in the band. And, you know, I mean, I remember Brian Eno like came by and like watched us one night and he would interview comics or do sketches. Like, you know, he just, he just, Paul, his life's purpose and mission is just to like the comics who are getting shit on or undiscovered. He just wants to fucking like, um, sponsor them and just like blow them up. And he never had an ego about like, why aren't I doing that? And you know, he would just show up in random places. I, I remember when the Gilbert Godfrey movie came out, like Paul was moderating, like when, like at the, for the opening and he just like shows up and I did Montreal one year and he was moderating the South park guys, like Trey and Matt's big panel at a theater. Like he just, knows everybody and loves comedy and people know that he loves comedy for like the very fucking pure reasons of it. Does he direct that? Well, he Yeah, well, he directed The Aristocrats, the movie about, um, you know, the big dirty joke where kind of Bob Saget blew up like telling that. Um, he's working on a bunch of little projects. He just did a project with uh, Andy Andrus, who's one of Stan Hope's openers, which I haven't seen yet and I really want to. Um... But yeah, man, he's just the fucking best. He's just one of those dudes who just, I had an hour long conversation with him yesterday because, um, I was going to, my plan was move out of Austin next month and go off the grid. And then I completely fell in love with a girl and I was like, Hey, I'm staying in Austin. And he goes, cool. I was, yeah, I am not. Hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, it's been a week. I pretty much live there already. Uh, she's the fucking. It's, it's, yes, yes. It's good and bad. I mean, it, um, 
but I found a girl that it's very good for. And we're like, you know, it's weird. We're moving as fast as possible, but in like the healthiest way where we're just, no, thank God. Um, not a comic, not a jujitsu girl. Um, but she's like a fucking athlete. She does charity work and, uh, like she's a badass. She's so above my, I literally showed up at the gym today. Uh, so she, her boxing coach was at the gym I was at and wanted to know some jujitsu. And you know, when you like, you're like, Hey, I'm going to show you a move. But if a guy doesn't know jujitsu, they just start fighting you because they think you're sparring. So he just started fighting me and somebody was taping it. And so like, you know, I like very nicely beat the shit out of him. And to his credit, he posted it online. And so my site. Yeah, just, it just turned into this demo. Where, yeah, yeah, where everyone just started watching. He was like a wrestler and a boxer, and everyone started watching. And I choked him out, and then my... Uh, what, you want him to just out or just no, he tapped, out? he tapped. Uh, and then my beautiful psycho girlfriend was like, who's this guy? So he posted it on Instagram. I was like, who's this guy who just strangled my boxing coach? And then she went to my profile, saw I was on like a, po- a self-help podcast that she fucking loves. She followed me. I don't slide into DMs, but she was so hot, I thought it was spam. So I went to her page. And then she was like really fucking funny. And like yeah. when you can find someone like, dude, it's been so long since I've had a girlfriend that I can do bits with like edgy bits at home with She's been your girlfriend for how long now? like a week. A week. Okay. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's the fucking best. So I called Paul and I was like, Hey, I'm in love. I'm not going off the grid. And Paul was like, great. I can finally tell you, uh, you've, you have a fear of success. You've been a pussy every time you, go on stage, something incredible happens. Like Paul was there when Robin Williams like came to my first show and like took me under his wing. Paul was there for the fringe. Paul was there when I was homeless. And he was like, every time you do it, something good happens. Every time you get scared or you have adversity, you fucking pull away. And he goes, stop being a pussy. Get up every night. Get up in front of fucking 10 people. That's what fucking Richard Pryor did. That's what like, just get up and be a fucking comic. And so that's literally, I'm riding off that conversation from yesterday, which is why I was actually telling my girlfriend, it was so cool that me and you were podcasting today because it's like the day after I was like, okay, except that I'm a comic. Uh, I get to, this is the first time I've hung out with a comic in, I don't know, fuck, a while, like yeah. since I've been here. I mean, I mean, besides like doing shows and whoever's so, opening. So when did you, there, there's so much stuff we talk about. When did you first get to Austin? Last year. Last year. Yeah. Now, did you come, what was the reason for you coming to Austin? Was there anything related to this whole Rogan, Elon Musk migration. No. Yeah, no. What's so funny is uh I remember I did Bert Kreischer's podcast and he asked me because I literally moved when like Rogan did. And no offense to Joe, but at that time there were just so many like shitty open micers who were like, I'm gonna move to Austin and Rogan's gonna discover me and like, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and for me it was it was the uh it was kind of the opposite. I lived in New York and LA most of my life and I was in LA before COVID and, um, ran- when COVID happened, I just randomly moved to fucking Arizona. I was like, I just don't want to be in a city. Um, so it was the first time I like lived in nature in this cool town. It was like a fucking a thousand bucks a month for like this gorgeous apartment in the mountains. People are like, oh my God, lockdown. No, just go to nature. Go to nature. That's what I did. And it was literally, it was the first year I was ever single in my life. Like my fucking cat died. I was single. COVID happened. And I was like, okay, I either get super depressed or that's exactly what I did. It was like 
rebought a guitar, started writing sketches, um, uh, went out into nature, did mushrooms a lot, started meditating, like all this shit. And then like a year passed and I was sort of felt like I did a lot of work on myself and I was like playing a little too small in Tucson. So in my head, I was like, well, I don't want to go back to LA because nature was so huge for me. So Austin just sort of seemed like this middle ground of there's an art scene, but there's like waterfalls and nature. And, you know, at the time I had a bunch of people who wanted me to do pro wrestling. Like that's what I said on Bert's thing. We're like, I loved it. I think so. I mean, what I dude, what I got to figure out what I'm doing is I've never just been tunnel visioned. This is what Paul was saying. He goes, just be a fucking comic. I think I've always been from living out of my car to like gnarly divorce to all this stuff. I've always been in such sort of like panic hustle mode. That I'm like, I have to do everything because as many people, I have to get all these people to like like me and I need to make money and whatever. And now that I'm actually like settling down into like a healthy relationship and I, I, I have the strongest friend community I've ever had in Austin, it could be the time just to be like, do I need a jujitsu podcast? Do I need – like maybe I just fucking – just pursue comedy, you know, and comedy entails a lot, right? Like comedy. That's why Paul, this was interesting. Actually, Paul was like, cause I go, I don't even know if I want to be touring all the time and be like a comic. Like, why would I go do? Yeah. So like, why would I go do these like free shows in Austin where I have to deal with downtown and like in front of whatever. And he goes, one, that's what fucking artists do. That's what comics do. And that that's advice I would have given anyone. But what he told us, you're like, I've told that to so many people where I'm like, oh, do you actually want to be a comic or you want to be famous? And it's like, right. But then the thing he told me that I didn't even think about, because in my head I was doing all this online stuff because I felt like I failed as a comic. So I'm like, okay, I'll make sketches online or I'll do the podcast or whatever, make some money. But he goes, everything, again, he said, everything good that has ever happened to you has been because you've been on stage. But also he was like, if you are thinking of yourself as a comic and you're getting on stage, he's like, that's where you develop ideas for sketches and for the podcast. Like you're just in comic brain. So it doesn't even have to apply to my new hour. Like just being on stage thinking in jokes, even doing bits with my girlfriend. It's like, oh, that's a sketch. That's a stand-up bit. This could go come into a conversation on a podcast. Stand comedy is one of the few things where you're you're constantly racing the wheels. You're constantly moving, you're constantly training yourself. Yeah. You never you never stop. Yeah. Totally everything else is like no. And where it was hard for me, and this is where I was struggling, is it wasn't even a cocky, like, I'm above this show. It was like, well, if I am not really getting booked a lot, it was just a sort of, what am I doing this for? And like, yes, I love comedy, but what am I doing this for? Where it's not like, oh, I'm getting ready to go on the road, or I'm getting ready for a special, or I'm getting ready. And that's when Paul was like, you're doing it to be an artist, and it will influence everything else. And I go, oh, that actually... That makes a lot of sense. And by the way, every time I get on stage, I'm just like, I'm fucking great. Like, this is, this is great. I love it. You know, there's a lot of the scene I don't like, especially since jujitsu and kind of being healthier and, 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 and trying to, you know, mental health so when stuff. You, when you just refer to the scene, do you mean, because uh, I've never really been part of any comedy scene as it were. I'm kind of like punch card and I leave. I kind of want to talk to you about that. And okay. People are always like, he's Eric. It's not that. I just like, I'm not trying to fuck girls after shows. Right. There was a time yes. in my twenties when I was on tour with Jamie Kennedy. It was like, what else? I mean, I would literally he would book me for a weekend, and he wasn't paying a lot. Yeah, Scottish is cheap. Yep. And he would, uh, 
you know, I just get paid by the club, by the improv. I wouldn't have a hotel or transportation. I would either drive yeah. long or fly out. Yeah. The spirit of fucking frontier. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. And I wouldn't have a place to stay. I would be like, okay, let's go to the girlfriend. Yes. That's how cocky I was. And, and nine times out of ten, I just meet a girl like, what are you doing? Yeah. And I stay with you. And then we'd be boyfriend, girlfriend for the weekend. Yep. And that's how I live. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, and, and I, when, and this was kind of when I was like, even before I met my girlfriend, this is where the last two shows, the last two weeks I did, um, like I did the house of comedy in Vancouver. I got the headline and then I got to fucking open for John Cleese, which was wild. I like tricked my way into that. He didn't like request me where literally the club owner was like, uh, Hey, if you stay an extra day. John Cleese is here and I go, can I stay, can I stay at the condo? And they go, oh, the condo's booked because we're bringing in extra staff. And I go, how about if I book my own hotel, can I open for John Cleese? And they were like, let's call John. And now like John and I are friends. He just did the podcast. Like, dude, he's the best. And also he made me want to do comedy more because backstage, not even just when we like podcasts and stuff, he would tell me these stories and even if they were like old Monty Python stories that, you know, he's told a million times before and the way he laughed backstage in front of no one was so genuine or like you would like, he wouldn't like when you made a joke, he would laugh so hard that it makes you funnier. You know, those people were like, I, I just want to keep being funny for John Cleese. And it's like the dude's fucking like 80 man. And he, Jeez. and the fact that he still loves comedy and these fucking stories and like, yes, it was just the coolest fucking thing in the world. And so I remember doing that and you know, I would like maybe have a drink if like the other comics were just to fit in and there was part of me that's like, I was single. I could have like slept with girls, but especially I'm not drinking. I remember there was this one night, this girl who was so pretty came up to me after the show and she was like just tipsy enough where she, you know, like cocky tipsy where she's like, you're coming downtown with me. And I was like, I'm, I'm so not like, I couldn't fit. I'm not old enough. Like I'm not young enough to fake it anymore. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. be like, Oh great. This will be, I was just like, I just, I literally went back to my hotel and watched pro wrestling by myself. Yeah, okay. And, and, had a fucking blast. I was like, this rules. It was, it was awesome. And so, you know, I guess when I say, so I feel you like, it's like, yeah, I don't want to do that stuff, but I still love the art. I still love writing jokes. I still. Yeah. And then, of course, so I want to get back to the lifestyle. It's also because I think when I did my research on you, yeah. um, you, you've struggled some stuff with certain types of, with alcoholism, some sorts of addictions. Yeah. The, I mean, I have like crazy food issues. The, um, it's funny. So you, had a, you had a food addiction? Yeah, like crazy binge eating on the road and like body dysmorphia stuff and all this stuff. And I think what you probably read was more about that. I thought I had a drinking problem. My mom's an alcoholic and so I'm very sensitive to it. And then when I was in my big relationship where I was just – it wasn't healthy and – I wasn't even getting drunk a lot. I was just sort of consistent. Like I would go on the road and just, you know, even if you just have two drinks a show and you're doing seven shows, you just, yeah. I'm not, I'm not getting drunk, but I'm like, that's a lot. And so at the time I was just such a fucking train wreck. I just assumed I was an alcoholic cause it's in my family. But I think what it was is I just, I don't have a great relationship to alcohol. I don't love being drunk. And so for me, it was, I'm like, oh, I'm not an alcoholic. I just don't like this. And I was probably overreacting because. Were you the type of guy who, 
because I was this guy for sure. And this is before I, I trained. Yeah. Uh, but I was the type of guy, I would fight, you know what I mean? I would get drunk and I'd get... I would be like the nicest guy drunk. Yeah. Time my life, I was a dancer, I danced. Yeah. But the minute someone like harshed my mouth... Really? I became a fucking maniac. Wow. I, I, don't, drink, I don't drink like 12 steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, just, I don't know, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything for me. And that's why I was like... Me and my girlfriend were actually, we were just in the same, um, kind of in the same boat. We would just like occasionally drink if we were at a function and our friends were, but then we talked about it and it's like, do you even want to do that? And we were like, no, like, why not? Like, why would we just drink to make our fucking friends happy? It's like, you might as well just, cause she's an athlete too. And it's like, it's wild. Well, and then the conversely, it's like you have the friends who you tell them they don't drink and they're just like, pussy. It's like, bro, you don't know if I'm an alcoholic. You don't know if like I have a DUI, like pull it back. And I think it's a lot of like projection, right? It's like when you tell someone you don't have kids and they're like, come on, you have to have kids. And I was like, you just want me to fucking be up all night like you're up yeah. all night. And it's the same with drinking. And so, um, yeah, I just, it's not even that I'm judging people who are drinking and whatever. It's just, I don't love it. Like, I love being around comics and having conversations like this. I love writing. I love doing bits with people. Um, the times that I tell myself this is how I fit in, I usually just feel like kind of tipsy, kind of awkward, kind of gross. And then I eat shitty and then like it fucks up my training the next day. Oh, for sure. And I'm like, and then what I don't realize, I don't know if you have this too, not only other people pressuring you, I'm a 40 year old fucking man and I will peer pressure myself where like I'll listen to like Burton Segura and I go, Oh, well I guess, I mean, I guess if I'm a real comic, I need to be drinking or I need to be like smoking weed or whatever. Not even considering the fact that all of my jokes I've, except for like tags and shit or stuff I've written on stage. But for the most part, most of my like a quote unquote material I've written sober during the day. I'm on my fucking computer. Um, the fact that like some of my best shows TV, I wasn't drunk on TV. Like all of it's been sober, but there's still this like 16 year old boy that goes, yeah, but like the cool comics, like they drink or what? Like I'll be so happy. I'll do the same thing with depression. When you said musician, I'll be like, I'll start to get depressed again. And I go, right. This is what an artist feels like. I'm doing it right. Instead of just like, no man, the best shit I've written. I haven't written stand up in so long. And I'm just like, I've been sober all week and I'm like in a fucking new relationship. And I'm just suddenly just like writing. And it's like, right. Cause I'm happy and I'm healthy and I'm taking care of myself. Um, and so the goal now, if I'm not going off the grid and I'm doing comedy is okay. How do I, how do I maintain that? How do I, um, it's going to sound boring as fuck to your listeners, but how, how can I go do a show, stay sober, find healthy food, do jujitsu, say goodnight to my fucking girlfriend, wake up early the next day, work out. And then, and now it's like, to me, it's like, okay, so now I'm not doing comedy because I want to get laid. Now I'm not doing comedy for like, uh, the adulation of strangers. Now I'm doing it because I love the art and can I maintain this healthy lifestyle? And actually, will that make me a better comic? Whereas I thought the opposite where I'm like, yeah, I got to be like Stan Hope. I got to be derailing to yes. be good. You know, Fucking miserable, yeah. And the countervailing argument is like, well, look what you know, blah 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 did with his, and because he was a you know a 
an alcoholic, say, well, imagine what he could have done if he wasn't. Yes. This is kind of alcoholic. Yeah. We have no, there's no, it's an unfalsifiable, because you don't know what these artists could have been if they weren't addicted to heroin. Right. Right. I mean, I remember, well, two things off that. I remember when I first started comedy and I was a stoner, I was just convinced that was going to be the key. And I would smoke weed, immediately eat, fall asleep. That's why I'm not like, I can only smoke weed like at night because I'm just a cliche. I'm just a fucking hack joke, man. All I do is just eat shitty and fall asleep. I've never been creative. I've never like fucking been Rogan and swung kettlebells. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to, I rolled one stone and I was like, this, mm. um, I, and then one time I even like, so then the next day I was like, okay, I put my notebook out. So I'm like, now I'm prepared. Smoked weed, looked at the notebook, went, nope, ate, fell asleep. Next day, literally wrote the topic I want to write, write about. It was like abortion or whatever. Walked by, I was like, abortion, like ate, went to sleep and like couldn't do it. Um, because that's just not the way I write. A lot of people do, but I remember, you know, Dave Attell one of the best comics in the world did insomniac a show about drinking was like doing drugs and drinking and was again, every comics favorite comic when I was coming up. Um, when he got sober, he did. I don't know if he still is, but he was when for a while, I think he still is. Um, he was for a while. And when I did that TV show, the green room, which is a panel show on showtime, he was on it and he was sober and it was just like, Dave Attell times a thousand where not only is he being as funny, but he was like moderating. He would like call back something Garofalo said. I think he was on a Stanhope too, or, you know, uh, like a really serious moment came up about someone who died and he like brought the room to like this fucking like silence. And it's just like, Oh, now you're not just like a funny drunk dude. Like this is like artistry. Like I always remember watching and being like, Okay, this is him fucking sober. I mean, Marin, right? Like, Marin was just a generic kind of like 80s leather jacket, coked out looking like whatever. And he was funny. He write jokes. But then he got sober. It's like, then he became Marin. Then he became like, you know, what he is now. And so there are just as many examples. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the, and that's why it's like, you got to just do what is good for you. But I'll find myself. And it's just insecurity where if I want to go vegetarian again, I Google like, Were you vegan for a while? I was vegan for a while and now I'm like pretty vegetarian. Um, Why do you stop the veganism? Just, just fucking divorce. And I was just mad at like anything I did in my like past life where I was just like, fuck everybody. Like, fuck, like I was like, maybe I'm a conservative. And then I, I literally, I got this like book deal offer to kind of be like a, like former lefty who goes conservative. And I was so broke and I was like, maybe I am conservative. And like, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff about like cancel culture. I don't love. And a lot of stuff about like with moderation and even like being here in Texas, like freedom and guns. And, and then uh, I was like, all right, I'll YouTube like Ben Shapiro. He goes on Rogan and people say he's great. And like five seconds, I was like, I'm not, con- I'm not fucking conservative. Okay, it's so funny. I have this, my, my whole act right now is basically talking about how uh, the fear of COVID is, yeah. Respect my heart. Yeah. The doctor, the doctor said, "Make my heart a little, a little Republican." <laughs> That's a good joke. And, uh, <laughs> such a good joke. And, but then, but then, and I went, "No, but it moved the deal." And I definitely, you know, and I, I felt kind of insecure about how, like, am I becoming an old, like, "Hey, kid, get off my lawn" type of dude? But then I listened to this podcast and checked out this guy, Aubrey Marcus. Oh, I know Aubrey. Yeah. Yeah. He's found him on it. But him and his guests were talking about the fact that. The, the idea of what a conservative is and what a liberal is has been so 
distorted by politics. Yeah. People don't even know because liberal is about exploring and pushing boundaries. And conservative is about conservative is exactly what it is. Right? Yes. It's about conserving, making things keep it and there are some things we need to keep the structure of. There are some things that are okay. Yep. There's some certain formations like the idea of having a nuclear family isn't all about patriarchy and white supremacy. There right. are some things about that that's worked for thousands of years for civilization. Sure. And there's also, hey, we should explore now. And I think where we're both at, maybe in our belief system, a lot of people are yep. like, the liberals, there's just, there's no stopping mechanism. There's yes. no one liberal saying, hey guys, enough. Yeah. You know? Well, where I'm kind of at is like, you know, because there was finally, I mean, exactly your joke. Um, I, you know, and, and I saw, I saw so many liberals go straight fucking like Trump because of the just disaster that was, uh, uh, the, the way liberals handed COVID, handled COVID and, or cancel culture or, you know, whatever. And, or just having conversations yeah. just and, and finding middle grounds. Like, you know, liberals have become so ostracizing. And like when I moved to Texas, I was like, Oh, you guys are kind of fucking fun. Like I disagree with you, but this is fun. Yeah. And. I actually really love being a liberal in a Texas state because I'm like, oh, I can, or you say in a conservative state where it's like, oh, I can still have gay friends, but also like I can shoot a gun. I don't have to fucking wear a mask. I was thinking about writing a joke. Yours is fucking perfect. But I had a moment in an airport when you said, I'm afraid, am I turning on the get off my lawn guy? I had a moment where I was like, of course I'm going to wear a fucking mask if it makes people feel safe and whatever until... I was late for a layover in an airport and I was running with the mask and suddenly I was like, I am anti-mask. And I realized that like I'm at the age now where my political beliefs are based on like minor inconveniences. And I feel like there's a bit there that I, I, I want, I want to try to fuck with, um, where it's not even me being mean. It's just kind of like, I'm tired and like, I don't want to do this. And so, um, right. And like, so what I think is, because I've talked to so many people on both sides of the aisle. I know Aubrey and all those guys who are kind of in the middle. Um, I think that the majority of people, not on fucking Twitter, not on whatever, are willing to have conversations, which is a very hopeful thing where whenever I talk to people who identify as a hardcore liberal or hardcore conservative, I can get them to say something like, kind of in the middle or kind of understanding or empathetic, like, oh, well, I see that. And then on Twitter and Instagram and all, it just seems like that doesn't exist. That world doesn't exist. And where I'm coming from, once I realized I'm not conservative, is I'm kind of like, as a liberal, it is upsetting to see all of the ridiculous uh, authoritarian stuff that liberals are doing because it is pushing people conservative. I have seen so many people. So I'm not even saying... Hey, I'm going to criticize this because now I'm a conservative and that's my bit. You're fucking up, guys. You're fucking up. You know, it, it, it's what we were talking about even before we recorded. If you conflate and this, I've dealt with this. If you conflate cheating with sexual assault, if you conflate, um, a poorly worded tweet with institutional racism, if you, so now what's happening is all of these kind of people in the middle, are taking the actual thing, the fact that like, yeah, rape culture is fucking real. Institutional racism is real. But when the stories that are getting covered or the shit that everyone's piling on is Chris Pratt made this tweet or, you know, uh, uh, Chris Pratt's a Republican. <gasps> right. Oh my God, I watched his movie. Yes. And that's all people are talking about. 
they start to just get desensitized to the larger issues. So when something actually really terrible does happen to a woman or a black person is shot, they go, oh, is this just some fucking exaggerating liberal thing? And then you have Republicans who are going, yeah, we just want to keep businesses open and these families who they're not fucking evil they're struggling and they go well if you're gonna keep my fucking business open then i guess i'm republican and then they start going down the rabbit hole and suddenly they're watching ben shapiro on youtube and i mean shit i think jordan peterson's a really great example where me on the left jordan peterson was just introduced as like this dude who hates trans people and then when i listened to him on rogan he was just saying stuff like you know, you should really take responsibility and, you know, young men should make the bed. Yeah. And I was like 38 and was just like, I don't make my fucking bed. And I was like, I'm going to start making the fucking bed every day. And what I just realized, and COVID's another example, is suddenly Republicans are like, you should go outside and exercise. And liberals are like, if you go outside, you hate fucking old people. And I'm like, guys, if Republicans are the ones that are saying, and especially me growing up super liberal. Right, right. And they're saying suddenly you you have Trump saying to exercise. And even though that looks so ridiculous, it's like, well, liberals were keeping. And that's why, you know, Aubrey and them, like that whole kind of like spiritual wellness, like they all started going a little more to the right. Aubrey's been very like careful about like how he phrases things. But, you know, I, I've been on like his best friend's podcast who has gone, went like full fucking Trump and I've known him forever. And it's because the liberals did such a fucking shitty job. You can't, we can't suddenly be the party of censorship and fucking over small businesses. And because then Republicans can just lie. It's like, Hey, they're not pro small business either. They're going to fucking, you know, they're going to screw you over in different ways, but at least they're talking the talk. Um, whereas we just seem like fucking just buzzkills is what we are now, which is, which is a bummer. Cause like the principles of liberalism, like try to take care of everyone, equal chances, like don't fucking be a racist shit bag. Like all of that is kind of like pro choice. That's a really funny way to put it. Yeah. Every time I'm like, I'm like, maybe I'm Republican. I like look over the ledge and be like, God made Adam and Eve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hannah Gatsby, Spider to Chappelle. Like, ugh. Right. So where the fuck am I, man? A hundred percent. And you know, it's. I feel like you know, with the the Rogan controversy, which I've like half followed, or with. Yeah. Well, I mean, I won't say this because I know you have a time constraint. Oh yeah, yeah, just. What, what time is it? It is, I think it's at 10 after. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is really fun. I'll figure it out. Okay. Really? Yeah. <laughs> a New York play. But there's something about it that uh, really triggered the fundamentalist Christian community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They protested this play. It was a right. video of the play, but the play got fucking so much press. Yeah. Stuart, Stuart Lee, very similarly. I feel like if you get protested by Christians, that's certainly easier than getting protested by like left, lefty Twitter. Um, but like the, uh, yeah, Stuart Lee did Jerry Springer, the opera in London and same deal. Like all the fundamentalists protested and then it just blew up. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, where, where, where the Rogan thing kind of ties into what 
we were talking about before is I just, you know, if people have a fucking problem with a political party, with a performer, with a podcaster, with whatever, make better shit. And the bottom line is like, agree with Rogan or not, the failure of the mainstream media, if you, he's not a fucking news source, he's great. Well, the news is garbage, so make better news and stop lying to us. And then people aren't going to go to a fucking comedian to get their news. Like it is so easy. And I, I see this with like, you know, the lefties I do still follow. It is so easy to make fun of people that go to Rogan for the news, but it's like one, like half of these like jujitsu dudes wouldn't be watching the fucking news anyway. And like, you used to have John Stork for the news 10 years ago. That's a fucking great point. Yeah. I mean, that's what I used to do. And also like Joe has done a lot of good when it comes to health and shit like that. But the bottom line is like, it's like be better, man. Like, so my brother, um, way more lefty than Joe has problems with Joe and called me to ask if I listened to Joe's apology with the Neil Young thing. And apparently there was this, and I didn't, but apparently there's this beautiful moment where Joe was like, I have nothing against Neil Young taking his stuff off Spotify. I'm a huge Neil Young fan. And he tells this story about when he was in his twenties and he quit his job and he drove down the street, you know, blaring like, keep on rocking, singing, keep on rocking the free world. So my brother, and my brother said it was awesome. My brother doesn't like Joe. My brother goes, it was fucking awesome. And my brother was listening to some big piece, this like yeah, podcast or a radio show. Um, I don't know where it was on. It was like an NPR-ish type thing, but like a, a very big platform. And they did a whole piece on Joe and they didn't post that story. They, they didn't post him telling the Neil Young story. Just they only posted the audio of him singing rocking in the free world so it sounds like he's mocking neil young and my brother was like if i just listened to that i would have just assumed and so i remember when he told me that i go that kind of disingenuous reporting is the reason so many people listen to joe besides like joe is very talented obviously but it's like if you want to stop driving people over there if you want people to stop getting their news then do fucking good work instead of just trying to cancel people who you disagree with i think that's the fundamental problem yeah it's very interesting the whole news the industrial news complex because it it has to make money at the end of the day yeah the fact that trump is gone cnn and way way down the right yep so even now you're turning they'll be have a thing about trump but you've got to fucking, Dude, that's just about every once in a while, I've been like w- w- barely reading the news, uh, just to like overcorrect from my past lives. And every once in a while, I'll be like, maybe if I want to write, or I'm like, I should write something topical or talk about something topical on the podcast. I'll go to CNN and I am, or dot com or just some new shit. And I am still just like you, shocked. I'm like, how are there five fucking stories about Trump? Who's just a guy now? He's not the fucking president. And even when Trump would talk about, um, you know, the news is against me, the fake news, whatever it, it's not because it's the liberal news. It's because they're just whores where that same media is the reason Trump was president. I mean, I remember watching MSNBC, the liberal network and Bernie Sanders is doing this fucking sold out stadium, you know, talking about universal health care and all this shit that matters to people. And there was an empty podium where they were waiting for Trump and they put fucking Bernie at this stadium in the corner, like the bottom right hand corner. And they're just waiting for Trump. And it's like, you fucking assholes 
got him into the presidency. You're the reason he's the president. Yes, then they started going after him because that was popular. But all they care about, they don't have an agenda. They certainly don't have a, a, a liberal agenda. They just care about what will get clicks. You know, MSNBC started doing the same shit Fox did because after 9-11, Fox started railing them in the ratings. And so it's like the exact same playbook. They're all full of shit. It totally makes sense why people would want to go to a comedian who's having diverse voices on. And even if those voices are extreme, people are so not used to hearing an actual both sides of the story or an ad. They're used to just hearing corporate Democrat versus corporate Republican. And those guys are pretty much the same except like one's fine with gay people and weed, right? And like so – you go to Rogan and you just go, well, fuck, man, I haven't heard any of this stuff. I know the media is lying to me. So, like, yeah, like, Joe doesn't have an agenda. Like, why Why would he lie? And so I guess my whole thing on the Spotify whatever is just make better shit. Yeah. Like, that's how you combat it if you don't like it. Just make better shit. You know, it's funny because I was um, – it kind of ties into this whole Dave Chappelle, Patton Oswalt thing. Right. It was funny because we did, a, a, I did an episode about that. And I posted and then Pat reached out to me. He yeah. Said, oh, yeah, you know, I talked this stuff. And now, now we're cool. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, uh, w- when that happened, I was kind of like, I was like, Pat, you're fucking, you're throwing Dave under the bus. You're being a pussy. Just say, hey, liberals, stop. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Anyway, the point is, the people that were calling Dave Chappelle transphobic and losing their mind. Yeah. To a person, if you'd say, did you listen to the special? Yeah. They'd say no. I know. So with, with the Joe Rogan thing, I was talking to a, a comic in, in LA about this. Like, yeah, man, Joe Rogan's awful. He should da da da. A friend of mine he should go to jail for it. Jeez. No. No, but he should. Just like the fucking. And you're yes. Right. And you're going after these people. You listen to Chappelle, but you're you're doing the same thing. Right, and I think like that's my problem with. Cancel culture, and this is, it's so hard to articulate. I mean, I think you'll get it, but you, you you always get two sides, right? You get like the people who are like, "I'm against cancel culture," and you go, "Why?" And they're like, "If I want to say the M word, you're like, nope, 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 that's not good, right?" And like, and then you get the people who want to cancel everybody, also not good. For me, it's like there's no fucking. I want to live in a world like the fact that with like the Chappelle thing. This is where I thought of this. It's. Wouldn't you like to root for a world where Dave Chappelle isn't transphobic? Cause yeah. right. So maybe listen to it. Why are you so excited that he's a thing that would be hurtful? Right. Why are you so excited that Chris Pratt's a racist? And you know, I know when I was like shit talking people online and stuff, it's cause I was miserable and I wanted to feel better about, I want to feel better about myself. Yes. And so with cancel culture, one of the reasons I became liberal is like prison reform. I'm against the death penalty, shit like that. The prison industrial complex is so fucking gross and people get released. They're not better. There's nothing rehabilitative about it. And the left wants to change that. And the left believes that if you get out of jail for murder, uh, you have a path to redemption. However, every time Louis C.K. wants to work, uh, they try to make it so he will never work again. And I, and by the way, are stand-up comedy fans a bunch of fucking racist, sexist, homophobes? No. However, when you take away their favorite comic and you go, the only way they can make a living is on their own and we're not going to let them do this and this and this, those people suddenly like fucking 
again, the most conservative pundits are like, Dave Chappelle's hilarious and we have to, it's like, you motherfuckers hated him when he was going after Bush or, you know, whatever. And so you actually are making this space that you like, you're, you are the one turning it more, you know, conservative or hateful. And you know, comics, comics just want to push back. You say I'm being racist. Now I'm going to see how racist I can be. Not because they're racist, but because they're, they just don't like authority. What does that even mean to you? Yeah. And so like with cancel culture, I want, you know, people should have a path to get better. And if you actually care about the issues and you actually want to protect women, protect minorities, you know, make the world a better place and whatever, the answer isn't just someone fucks up once and you destroy them. The answer is like, okay, well, how can we like rehabilitate? Like, did they learn something? Like I got in trouble for cheating uh, for a consensual affair that I had fucking eight years ago and the shit still haunts me and legitimately, uh, in my own mind and I still get trolled and I don't get trolled by fucking women. Like it's a couple fucking losers. It's a couple fucking losers, but, um, people still are just touchy enough about it. And I'm not famous enough to be like, well, it's Louie. So like, we're going to let him play a theater. It's just like, well, I'm already a fucking liability. So if someone says a thing, like there is a chance I'll lose a gig. Yeah. And so you can't defend people that you want to defend. Right. And well, and what's funny is like the people who support me the most comedy club owners, my famous friends, um, you know, they're all fucking women. Yeah. And, uh, the people who will troll me are fucking creepy ass dudes who will use the feminism. So it's just like they will use counter. It's so the whole thing is so fucking broken. And so, you know, there are times where I'm Googling fucking Ben Shapiro. Cause I just go, well, there's nothing else I can do. And these people want me to die. And so like, I have to make a living or whatever, as opposed to the fact that, Hey man, like having an affair wasn't good. I shouldn't have done that. However, in those eight years, I've had nothing but healthy relationships. I'm fucking friends with my exes. Every club, the first club I went to, uh, the female club owner goes, you treat my wait staff better than guys who haven't been canceled. And I go, I know. And like, <laughs> yeah, but like, and so I, uh, but this fucking shame and the fact that it can still, you're pushing people away. Like me being still saying liberal shit on podcasts is the worst thing I can do. I remember when I, this is super wild because Rogan still like defends me. Um, whenever my name comes up, it's like, yeah, three, there was one when it was still at his house and it went great. There was the horrible one that that was, that was the second one. Feminism. That's, that's why my cheating thing became a story. If I was a comic who cheated and had consensual one night stands, as a self-righteous, yeah. And by the way, I didn't label myself that. But, like, I was like, rape's bad. And they're like, you fucking cuck. And so, like, um, uh, that happened. And then third time after my divorce thing happened, Joe had me on to, like, become buddies and, you know, talk about what happened to me. And he was great. He really, like, stuck up for me. And um, the reason I brought that up, why did I bring that up? Um, yeah, sorry, no, 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 it's okay. When, uh, I don't even know. I don't know what I was talking about. He stuck up, stuck up yeah, for so me. Joe, Joe has uh, stuck up for you. He, he's been in your corner. And I kind of asked, like, yeah, well, how many times have you been? Right, right, right. Oh, I don't even know. But like this, oh, I do remember what happened. So 
that's kind of like where I stand with like the, the Rogan people. But, and I remember, so on my Instagram, I only started Instagram over COVID and I made a lot of jujitsu sketches. So I had a lot of fighter followers and some of them knew about my past or heard me on Rogan. Some of them didn't. And I remember, um, when I posted, when George Floyd was murdered, you know, again, whether you're liberal or conservative, like that was a pretty fucking, yeah. Oh yeah. And so I, I, I made a video about that. And I got like 10 comments from people who were like, didn't you learn your fucking lesson when you were like a fucking feminist cuck, whatever, essentially implying that me being in a a hard relationship and having an affair eight years ago and getting like called out means I now have to be racist or like pro cop murder like that. And what's funny is the right always complains about the left being tribalized. It's the exact same thing on both sides. Whereas like the fact that you think that because I'm not a super liberal anymore or because I had a fucking affair or because whatever I have to now be yeah pro cop murder shows you how fucking broken the entire thing is. And so it's not easy for me my path would be fucking clear if I was conservative, dude. I'd have a show on Fox by now. Like, I'd write the book that was, like, why I left the left. I would do some fucking anti-feminist shit. I would, like, I, I went on some right-wing shows just kind of, like, to, like, tiptoe in. And uh I'm, like, just, just not who I am. But, again, with cancel culture, it's, like, they don't really give you a, a path. Um, and it's like, yeah, I am less political and I am more empathetic and I'm not starting fights on Twitter. And I have friends who are conservative and liberals and I've had really wonderful, loving relationships. And, um, I want this relationship that I'm in right now to like, like, this is someone who like, I want to be with for the rest of my life. And like, now it's fine. It's fine. You know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to ask her right now. Let, <laughs> let's, let's get her on FaceTime. But, but like, if you went on Twitter, people wouldn't want that. And so to me, it's like, that means you don't care about the actual cause. You just want to cancel people because don't you want people to be better? Don't you want people to still defend women? Don't you want people to still, you know, be anti-racist? If every time someone makes a mistake, you're like, fuck you, you're fired. You're off the team. We never want you to work again. Crazy. That's another reason. It's so many idea that liberals have this idea that they're the more empathetic, the more sympathetic, more loving, but they don't offer paths. They're like, redemption. Dave Chappelle should die. You know, right. Well, let's be honest. For white men, there is a path for redemption. Right, right. right. Thank God. <laughs> and that's why I'm here, everybody. Join my Patreon. Patreon.com slash Jamie Kilstein. I do. I do. Don't Google me. Just write to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Jamie Kilstein. You know, I think anyone who's discerning can read read stuff and go like, oh, this is whatever happens, dumb. No, I've had that. I mean, the truth is, Jamie, if I were to ever get famous, yeah. Yeah, sure. By the way, they were definitely acting like C or C adjacent. Sure. So it wasn't like it was like, I'm trolling, hey, you. Right. Like, there was a fight between two adults. Right. And then they said some of that stuff, it was stupid, whatever. Right, right, right. And then, but that's enough now. That's right. enough that if that were to come out. That actually would be a thing. Like, for anyone listening, like, that's not hyperbolic. Like, that would be a thing. And it doesn't matter how you treat the women in your life. That doesn't matter how you treat women out of clubs. It doesn't matter. Now, a private exchange and a flippant text can be used against you. 
bro, when, when I had the fucking affair, I was just like, I didn't save text messages because I was just like, we love each other and ch-. like, or like for like one night stands or like, I like, I never like took screenshots like way back in the day. I was just kind of like, what a great time we had. And now it's just like, I don't delete shit. I don't delete anything. Although the most haunting thing, even with like, uh, like a girlfriend or someone is I'm so used to my life falling apart that like, let's say I leave a sweet voice memo and I just see like, it says like, you know, like Amy kept a voice memo. I'm like, why, why, what are you holding it for Amy? Why'd you keep the fucking voice memo? What's this? Like it, 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 it will totally fuck you up. Yeah. Um, but man, I think it's just the, the, like the bottom line is like, I don't want to turn into the get off my lawn guy. Like I just, I think that uh, there's a lot of good people out there. There's a lot of misunderstood people. I think that online, the news makes you so fucking toxic. Everyone just wants to just ignore their job and try to get fucking Joe Rogan kicked off of Spotify. And it's just, there's better stuff to do. And I think do that... Think this is related to COVID and Yeah, I think people are really disconnected and we've tricked ourselves into thinking that online community is community. And so we've stopped sort of like me. And I would have done that too, probably if I didn't have jujitsu. Um, and so if you, and, and also just politically, you feel so helpless. Like the system is so fucking broken. But if you go, well, I can get that guy canceled and I'm doing this with a tribe of people online and like, oh my God, this person retweeted my snarky comment and like, oh, now I got new followers. It is fucking like, mm, it's enticing. They've gamed the system to know how our brains work and know what we need. Even the notifications, like the frequency of the notifications, the same frequency at a casino. Like oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, I finally took social media off my phone and it's, it's been like for, so if I, if I need to post something, I'll try to do it from my laptop or like when I was waiting for you, I was like, I have to promote something on my story. So I literally had to download Instagram, put my thing on, record the story, delete Instagram. And it's like, it's worth it. Also, you know, I did Joe Rogan talk about this on the podcast too, where he says that when he posts stuff, he never, he posts, he calls it, what does he call it? Post and ghost. Perfect. Well, and there's part of me that's like, but you're so famous where I'm like, how do I manage that? And like on the, because, so I did this guy, Cal Newport's podcast, who is like the kind of biggest expert on this. He did this like Ted talk with like millions of things on getting off social media. He's not on social media. And, you know, he always goes on Tim Ferriss's podcast, Lex Friedman's podcast. And I did his show and he was giving me advice to get off social media. He goes, I think you can make a living as a comedian off social media. And I went, cool, Cal, get me on Tim Ferriss's show. Like, yes, if I start doing those podcasts, if I'm on Lex Friedman's podcast, like call your friends because it's fucking hard. Although if we go back to the Provenza thing, every, you know, Robin Williams came to my show in San Francisco, not because of social media. And that was like one of the most important relationships in my life. Paul discovered me at a poetry festival in Albuquerque, New Mexico, when I was living out of my car, not on social media. So if you go old school and you are just getting on stage, like that's how everyone made it back in the day, dude. Like all of our heroes, like they weren't doing it, but it's, it's fucking hard. Yeah. Right. And then you start to wonder, are they doing, are they spending the time that we're on Instagram doing the work? So 
No, and I have to figure that out too because so now like I'm staying here and I'm going to double down on comedy and stuff like that. I really enjoyed making those sketches on Instagram and it got me followers, but how many of those followers are going to listen to my podcast? How many uh, are going to come see me do stand up? And and then how much time do I spend on it? And and should I just be focused on writing stand up and performing stand up? So I'm going to have to fuck with that. But I enjoy doing the sketches. So even if I do a sketch a week, but that's cool, but I think monitoring my new followers or yeah all the comments, like maybe I do that. Like, okay. So what about you? You have a really good Instagram following. Is the turnover good or are you just sucked into this Instagram world? Oh, I am now too. No, no. Yeah. That's why they get the many likes. Like Instagram is like, Hey bro, you're shadow band. Like basically like you can't monetize anything. You don't fit our, our, our guidelines. Our policy. Even with the Which amount of followers you have. Yeah. One person to go. This is sexist. Right. I feel bullied right. by this. I feel harassed by this. Whatever the fuck it is. I have no idea what the bit is. Jesus. But I used to get half a million views on some of my IGTV videos. Right. And now I get maybe 10,000. Right. I remember when I was doing, uh, I, I got those notifications too. And I was like, I don't post anything offensive. This is bullshit fucking corporations. But it was during my pro wrestling thing. And it highlighted the comments. And it was literally me going on the guy I was fighting. And I, I actually said, I will literally murder you. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I see why I got in trouble. And I was like, oh, people bait you and they wait for you to say the thing up report. They're like, oh, let me bait you. Can you, then you say something and then they fucking report. Can you imagine being that person? Can you imagine what that life is like and how fucking terrible it is? It's so funny because there was this guy who did this to me recently. He was like, how was it? He just, out of the blue. It wasn't like I had a brand new post up. He was like, this is fucking whatever. Oh, and it's not like an old post is always super weird. He just DM'd me. Thanks, man. Like, I'm not gonna. And he goes, Hey, fucking Mongo, why don't you go beat up a whole thing? Or just something like he called me a Mongo. Yeah. I'm Kunlati from Princeton, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. And then he, uh, and then I was like, I, he, his IG did not have his real name, had initials. Sure. But he had a link to a, a, a documentary. It was a very liberal documentary. Yeah. About the election or something. So I looked at it and I found out whose name is. And I looked at YouTube, but they have like 14 subscribers. Great. It was like 30 seconds. He was like a skinny, fat, yep. Guy, yep. smoking, like hit vintage cigarettes. Yep. Sounds like, yep. Pin arms, I, I definitely probably hung out with him 10 years ago. Uh, oh, this, this thing, I go, of course, you're, you're the guy who's going to do this. You're the guy. And, the, and, well, and that's the thing is like, I've gone down those fucking rabbit holes, and that's when I was like, I probably could have been writing. You know what I mean? I could, and, and it just becomes addictive. And even like with numbers and st- like looking at other comedians and being like, Oh shit, should I be doing that or whatever? Where I do wonder if I just fucking not even on it, just post and whatever. I'll probably make the best art I've ever made. I'll probably, cause it just, I'm not, I don't, don't read, don't engage at all. Yeah. I don't care. And, and the, I think focusing on the live shows will be very, uh, very redeeming. So, well, now that I'm staying in Austin, because, so, uh, if anyone's in Austin, uh, February 24th, Creek in the Cave, I'm headlining, um, which will be a really fun show. And I, it was going to be my going away show that they booked me for. Um, oh my God, that'd be so fun. Rebecca? I mean, would you want a feature for me? That'd be so fun. Oh, we should do that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. That'd be so fun. Um, but it was going to be my going away show. So I'm kind of hoping like, oh, well, if it's a great show, I'll pitch that. Yeah. I'll be like, hey, can I do a weekly show? Yeah, Rebecca asked me to do a weekly show and I did. 
I did have, I mean, maybe we could do it together. Here's an idea for a show I have. Yeah. Tell me if you think this is good. Okay. Because you can't just have like a show. I know. A dirty show. The Wendy Wednesday. Yeah. So, but I thought a show would be called um, uh, Clean and Mean. Yes. And basically what you do, I don't know, some of the audience has a bell or something. Okay. Right? And they have like constraints. I haven't figured it out. Yeah. But you start off doing like your cleanest material. Like your G-rated Bill Cosby. Oh my God. Oh my God. Bill Cosby, like G-rated material. And the like, yeah. the G rated rape material on stage, not off stage. Yes, 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 yes. Um, you know, Bill just means uh, sitting down in a chair, in a comfortable chair while telling a story. Yeah. That's real. That's really fun. That's 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 really fun. I mean, you would kind of need a lot of material. Like if it was improvised, like if you were doing like an, because if you were doing like an improvised monologue, it would almost be easier. Whereas with stand up, I'm like, I don't know the segues. Like, because if I was improvising, it would be so fun to be telling this sweet story. Bell rings, and then you fucking just. Yes, and then you just fucking turn it on. That's a great idea. I don't have any show ideas either because I was always like, people assume like a panel or a political wrap-up show, but I was like, do I want to do that anymore? There is a show I would love to just crib that I used to do in London. It was the most genius idea for a new material night where it was called Old Rope, and they had a noose hanging from the stage. and. Oh, that's true. <laughs> well, you didn't let me finish. There's a black person in the, but like the, um, you'd have a, a noose from the stage and the goal is do all new material. But let's say you're doing new material and you're fucking tanking. You grab the rope so they know like, Hey, I'm about to do a killer. This is not new. This is like my fucking A material. Get them back. And you can either do this. You can be a pussy. They know you're doing all material or you let go of the rope and then you get to venture back into. I think anything me and you could do where, yeah, there's like some kind of just, it's not just stand up. Like this sounds so lame, but like creative, like artistry to it where like we will get better from it. I'm in. Let's just do one together. Yeah. Fuck it. If me and you are both indifferent about it, but also know we should do it, let's just do it together so we can hang, and I think it'll be fun. Yeah. All right, we'll see how February 24th goes. Guys, now you got to come. Now you got to come. February 24th, Austin, Texas, The Creek in the Cave. Oh, yeah, fuck it. Yeah. You've been for a while, and I don't want to keep getting a ghost. So, um, dude, I've talked to you forever, and you're a fascinating guy, and I, I'm glad you're sticking around Austin, man. Thanks, man. And, yeah, come on my podcast. Uh, if you guys want to check it out, I think – I don't know when this is going up, but the I'm about to air the John Cleese episode, which was so cool. And, dude, we talked about, like, religion and, like, uh, a fuck-up's guide to the universe. So you can either go to jamiekilsteinpodcast.com or just whatever platform you're on, a fuck-up's guide to the universe. Uh, I mean, no one's going to join the Patreon unless they become a fan of mine. So, like, go follow me on social media. Uh, uh, don't call me the C-word adjacent or uh, report me for uh, saying I'm going to murder my friends and yeah my Instagram is the Jamie Kilstein uh, my Twitter is Jamie Kilstein uh, yeah dude this is so fucking this is the best awesome man thank you for coming thank you